Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Ian Fisher. I'm going to be hosting the show for today. We've got a really nice show lined up for you. Um, as we are heading more squarely into the summer, we're going to take some of your listener questions in our second and third segments, uh, talking a little bit about your questions surrounding college admissions and financial aid. But before we do that, we want to continue our conversation around Pride Month uh, and some of the interesting topics that are especially relevant for LGBTQ students uh, and their college and uh College Financial Aid Search. Uh, Joining us for today is the Vice President for Enrollment at the St. John's College, which actually has two campuses, one in Annapolis and one very beautiful campus out in Santa Fe. Uh, And his name is Benjamin Baum. Ben, thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm really delighted to have you. Um, Our producer, Jen, uh, brings you, you know, very highly recommended Uh, She also said, I'm not allowed to drill into you about St. John's at this time. Maybe we'll have you back later to talk about that. But as a graduate of Reed College, uh, the curriculum at St. John's is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, But what we're going to talk about today is the college search for LGBTQ students. Um, And I, I wanted to just open up with a fairly broad question, which is, you know, for students who identify as belonging to the LGBTQ community, how does the college search process differ, especially in the early phases? Are there certain things that students tend to be more aware of or need to be more aware of as they're starting to think about that next step in the college process? I wonder if you could let our listeners in on what your experience has told you there. Yeah, that sounds like a simple question, but frankly, I could spend the entire segment just in <laughs> one. I, and the answer is it depends, of course. Um, of course. I mean, so much, I think, on our own identities and um, and what we're looking for in the right fit for ourselves and related to those identities in the colleges we're searching for. And so, you know, there are many students for whom um, they might identify as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, and their search process might be very similar to the someone else who doesn't identify with that community. Um, for others, though, it could be really integral to the process. And, and some examples of this might be um, a student who is um, really searching for a place where they know they're going to find a supportive community. Um, mm-hmm many colleges all around the country, um, and yet they're looking for a particular center. They're looking for a particular um, dating pool that will be large enough for them. They're looking for resources to support them. And and that might vary if you identify as gay versus if you identify as transgender. And so really um, assessing your own needs and thinking about how those are going to manifest in the college admissions process and in the experience you want at the college you're going to, that's going to be the starting point. Uh, identity is a very interesting idea, right? And I think it, it's it's tangled up in a lot of different things, some things that we can see, some things that we can't necessarily see, some things that are common knowledge to our community, some things that are not common knowledge to our community. Um, for students that are not necessarily out or haven't had that conversation with their families and the people that are going to support them either with paying for college or helping them to get to university, supporting their applications, um, 
How do students navigate those waters and think a little bit about prioritizing some of the things that you've shared here, but also wanting to have a search that still protects some element of their privacy uh, and safety? Yeah, and that, that is a complicated question as well. Um, we increasingly see more and more students who have come out to some degree prior to the college admissions process. And, um, and for those students, it's a little bit easier. They might feel more comfortable um, declaring themselves to a college admissions officer, to a student at that college to ask questions um, about, the, um, about that community and how they might fit there. And that is much more challenging, obviously, for a student who um, isn't yet comfortable asking all of those questions. And so one of the key things, I think, for those of us who work on the college admission side is to see um, how we can signal to students who may not be out yet or may not be comfortable being out to everyone that we're a place where they can be themselves and they can thrive. And, And there's all sorts of tools to do that. I mean, I look at our publications at our website, the emails we send. And I think about, have we included students who identify as LGBTQ+. Have we included um, photos that might feature a pride flag because those hang around our campus outside of student windows? Um, have we mentioned in our list of clubs that one of the clubs on our campus includes um, a very active LGBTQ plus group? And those kind of signals, I think, can be really important to those students who may not be comfortable asking the more forthright questions yet. That said, I mean, my biggest piece of advice for any student who's searching for that right community is if they're comfortable to ask those questions. Um, And it's becoming increasingly common for for me to have a student who comes. And uh, it's happened for many years, of course. We've had students who come and ask about talking with a student who plays on the baseball team or asking for a student who's majoring in philosophy. Increasingly, I see students coming and asking if they could talk to I'm an LGBTQ plus student. And that's the kind of connection that we love to make within our admissions office. And um, and if a student's comfortable asking for it, we don't have to inform anyone else in the world that that's what the student has asked for, but we can make that connection for them. It's a great reminder that um, even from the early part of this process, as a prospective student, you're really creating a relationship with the campus and that campus wants to be able to reflect some of that trust and honesty with respect to that relationship. And so I love that reminder that students can get out there and ask these kinds of questions or ask for a resource in that particular space. I wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned in your response there around signals, right? So you've got a picture of a pride flag. Maybe you have some representation in your photos and your literature. Um, And I think on the side of the college, the idea is we want to be as welcoming as possible. We want as many different groups of students to be able to see themselves in our community, because that's how we develop the most rich and diverse community that we can be. What do students look for with respect to those signals? And how can they dig a little bit more deeply to kind of understand whether those signals have depth and are not just about a photo and a piece of literature, but really reflect a commitment on the part of that college to you know, um, sort of support their identity while they're on campus? Yeah, I mean, so I think, I mean, one answer to that question is to is to ask those questions, to get out there if the student is comfortable and ask to speak with a student on campus, to ask very specific questions about um, what the LGBTQ plus community is like on that particular campus. Uh, but as you were noting, for many students, they might not feel comfortable doing that. And I think it is a matter then of looking at what kind of depth exists to the resources that have been put out there by the college. And and it's no accident what a college puts out there to the world. Um, If there are 
LGBT students who are writing blog posts, who are featured on Instagram accounts. Those are real signals to students that there is substance to what we're doing here in this vein, even if um, beyond the idea of just having a student in a photo or just the mention of a club in a particular list. And so looking for that additional level of depth is really important, uh, but it also may depend on, on your identity and, and what resources you're searching for in your college. And so, for example, a cisgendered um, gay man may be looking for something very different in terms of resources than a person of color who may also identify as transgender. They may be or an LGBTQ resource center of some sort. Um, a transgender student in particular might be looking for um, confirmation that they have the ability to be identified in college systems using the gender they identify with. And um, those are real specific needs that can vary based on the student. And, um, and you can get into much more detail about by, by trying to ask those questions if the student is comfortable. Gotcha. So, so really encouraging those channels of communication to be open as often as possible. Um, exactly. And like I said before, you know, students may be at various stages of the coming out process. Yes. Why? Uh, I mean, but we are under an obligation not to share personal student information with others outside of this admissions process. And so it is, um, it is a perfectly okay thing to do if the student is comfortable to share with us something that they're looking for in their college, for us to find them those resources. Um, but we aren't there to talk with the college counselor about that question. We aren't there to talk with parents about those questions. And so, um, and so that there is a level of anonymity that can happen in this process, especially if the student is requesting that anonymity. That's great. I, I want to come back to the essay writing process a little bit and just talk about how students can share aspects of that identity in the materials that are that are provided in the application. But because so many of our listeners are parents uh, on this podcast, um, I wonder if you have advice for how parents might be able to support their kids through this particular part of the process, how they might show that they are um, encouraging of asking these questions, but also willing to give students space in that area to not be overbearing and, and you know, point out every single pride flag when they're on a campus tour, but also to reflect that, they, that they're there to support their kids. Do you have any advice for, for parents in that part of the process? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it's wonderful to have parents who are supportive in this process. Yeah. Who, um, you know, it's a different universe we live in today, where where that's something that's become the norm, where parents are pointing out the pride flag and, and encouraging students to look at a particular place because it's going to be a good fit for their LGBTQ plus student. So I think that's wonderful. In the same vein, just like actually with, with lots of other forms of identity and lots of other um, interests a student might have in a college, parents should take a backseat to the student and let the student drive the process. So they're finding the things they are looking for in that process, which may be very different from the things the parent thinks the student is looking for. Yeah. Right. And I mean, right. and that I think is actually even more apparent in this um, just in the last few years as people have become more comfortable talking about their identities. And um, and as the there's kind of been an explosion of identities that people now are increasingly familiar with, but weren't um, just five, 10 years ago. Sure. Yeah. So it is not uncommon for me to hear a student talk about an identity they have that is important to them, that they're seeking in their college community that I haven't heard of before. And mm -hmm. that is, I think, part of my job. And it should be part of a counselor's job and a parent's job 
to listen to students, to try to understand what they're asking for and what their needs are, and to go into it knowing that sometimes we're going to be caught um, caught off guard. We're not going to understand all the terms. We're going to have to learn those terms, and um, and that should be a part of the process for us too. That listening and learning. It's it's interesting because in many ways that you know the kids are ahead of. The, the adults in this space, um, you know, they, they have these conversations. Um, it's great to see, you know, I have a nine and an eight year old who are just perfectly comfortable introducing themselves with their pronouns. When I was nine and eight, that was not a conversation topic at all. Right. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting to see how things have changed over time and really encouraging as well. Given that's the case though, how do colleges create these kinds of signals and create an openness when sometimes there are identities that they are unfamiliar with or that they don't have as much experience with in part of this conversation? You know, how do you as a, a you know, an enrollment manager keep up with those conversations that students are, are having between themselves? Yeah. And part of that is us speaking directly to students. And so I meet regularly, not only with prospective students, but also our students on campus who are seeking to make our community a more diverse one and they <laughs> in our admissions process, because that's one of their goals too. Yeah. We, we also look at the diversity of the people who are in our own admissions staff. And so I deliberately am thinking that mm. broadest of sense of diversity, having people of all different ages, all different backgrounds, students of different um, sexualities, gender identities, students um, who have come from different places around the world, um, who are Pell recipients, who are students of color, and putting that constellation of students together, of, of, of not just students, but of staff together, makes a big difference in how we go out into the world and represent ourselves as a college and how we can communicate with prospective students. Uh, so that, that looking at staff itself is a big question. In fact, at St. John's, yeah. we really polled our staff and we looked at um, what kind of diversity was reflected amongst our group. And one of the most fascinating pieces of that was to see a real large LGBTQ plus representation amongst our own staff, over 30%. And, um, and that gives me a lot of faith that we are able to communicate with prospective students who are looking for that kind of community um, when they go to college. That's terrific. And, and I think it also underscores that when you are in a really good place in terms of being welcoming and having that representation, that you know, people have these identities, but they are also elevated for other aspects of their identities that are salient, right? You're reading about a biology research product from a student who happens to be bisexual. You're reading about, you know, a really great economics discovery by a student who's transgendered, but they're not elevated because they're transgendered. They're being elevated because of their economics research. And so it's really fantastic when you see a school that is in that space, that's a great indication that, those identities are welcomed. Um, Absolutely. Right. And yeah. it informs our, it also informs our recruitment processes. I mean, we wrote, for instance, an email for Pride Month that went out to all of our uh, prospective students. Mm-hmm. Um, we have students on our staff, we have people on our staff who identify with the LGBTQ plus community writing that email, who are putting the things that they value into that email to communicate with prospective students. Similarly, when we look at our application itself, and that the application is a place where students should look carefully for those kind of signals. Is the application giving an opportunity to identify the student's gender beyond a binary? That is a big clue about the kind of values that institution may have. And the conversations we have amongst our staff as we put together our application um, are influenced, um, the application itself is influenced by those conversations and by the diversity of the staff itself. 
It's one of those trends that I've really liked seeing, especially in the last five to 10 years that I've been working at College Coach, is the number of colleges that are adding supplemental essay questions around aspects of inclusion, diversity, asking students to reflect on what they have to bring to a campus, um, and, and giving that space for students to step into that role. And I think sometimes, you know, students who don't necessarily identify with these traditionally underrepresented groups might say, well, what do I have to share here? But you actually do. I mean, you've got, a, you've got an opportunity to talk about the way that you live an inclusive um, lifestyle and the way that you are welcoming of all differences in that space. Um, I, I mentioned that I wanted to talk a little bit about the essay, and we've got a little bit of time to do that. Um, I think sometimes I'll read that, you know, I'll, I'll work with students that are a little, little reluctant to write about um, coming out or an aspect of their LGB, LGBTQ plus identity in a college admission essay. What's your advice for them? Is it, is it a topic that has become cliche? I think some students worry about that. Like, I, I can't write the coming out essay because everybody's doing that these days. And, you know, I, I cringe a little bit when I hear that because it feels like such an important growth moment for that student. What's your take as somebody who's, you know, reading and reviewing these applications on, on the role that that kind of essay can play in their process? Uh, we, I mean, you, there's no doubt we see more students writing about their coming out process, about their identity um, in the college application than we saw a few years ago. So there's been an right. increase in that. It's still not the most common essay to read, though. And so I think some, to some degree, students can take a little heart in that. This is still a, uh, a, very, uh, a process that is very personal, that is revealing. Not every student wants to do it. Not every student um, is um, comfortable doing it. Not every student has that story to share. And so that is an element of this. Um, but also, I think I understand where that anxiety comes from about, am I just telling the same story that other people are telling? And, um, and that is true, I think, a concern many people have in the college application process when writing right. Says not just about um, the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, and so I think the key there is to really stay true to yourselves and to dig into what that story is and to share something that is personal, that isn't reflective of everyone else's experience. And we all have those. And, and I think this is advice that's often given by college counselors, and I give it myself. Um, don't just tell the, the broad brushstrokes of a story. Don't just deliver the, you know, a theme. Tell me an actual narrative. Give me the actual narrative. What happened to you? What are the things you care about most? Dig into that specific event um, yeah. and share that story, which really no one else can tell me. And it's that, it's that level of personalization that I think really transforms an essay from something that sounds like it could have been written by any number of students um, to the essay that really showcases how your voice is going to be a different voice within our community. And in the end, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that distinct voice. And the students have that voice. It's sometimes just a mechanism of, the essay is a mechanism of expressing it and sometimes a challenging one for that. But that's how I think students should see that essay. It's merely a mechanism for expressing themselves. I, I love when I hear advice from admissions professionals that is consistent with the advice that I'm giving students. So I think that was really great, especially thinking about how your experience might be different from other people who have had a similar broad brush kind of experience. Your experience still is somewhat unique and differentiating and especially essential to your identity. And, and it's, it's helpful to share that. Um, for a student who might say, you know, I'm going to write my personal essay, but I'm not going to write about coming out because I have this other story I want to share. And I'm looking at these supplemental essays and I don't really see that there's a space for me to share this aspect of my identity. Do you have any recommendations for how students might make admissions teams aware of something that is important to them, but doesn't necessarily fit into any of the boxes that is provided by an application? Yeah, I would look at the whole application as telling a story. And so mm -hmm. sometimes we become so fixated on 
just the common application personal essay or just one supplemental essay that we forget that the admissions officer on the other side of the desk is reading all of this material together at once and mm-hmm. developing a, an image in their head of who this student is. And so it might be that the personal essay for the common app or a supplemental essay asked for by a college um, isn't about one's identity in this respect. It's about some other important aspect of identity or belief or thought of some sort. Um, yeah. You look for those other opportunities in the application to, to tell the broader story of who you are. That could be as simple as you're a member of an LGBTQ plus group in your high school. And so it's listed on your list of extracurricular activities. It might be that really there's no particular essay that addresses this part of your identity that's important. And so you're just going to take the opportunity in the additional information section of the Common App to write something there that is supplemental to everything else the college has asked for. And that's okay. I I don't view this process as something I want to limit. I want students to share everything with me that encompasses who they are, even if that means breaking the boundaries of the application a little bit. To the degree that maybe even the student says, I couldn't find a place in the application. I have something else to write in the additional information section of the coming app. So I'm going to send you an email with something I would like you to add to my file because I think the this picture of me is incomplete without it. Very cool. I think that's great advice. It's good advice for all students, but I think especially here on Pride Month, it's a great advice for students that are LGBTQ+, that they can think about how they're going to use those components of the application to bring their whole story alive. Um, so Ben, it's been awesome to have you here on the show. Uh, I hope we can get you back to talk a little bit about St. John's. Um, my wife and I, when we were on our honeymoon in Albuquerque, Uh, we went up to Santa Fe and stopped by the St. John's campus because we are college nerds. So it was great to to see that campus there. And um, we'll be delighted to have you back to talk more about it. Excellent. I'd love to talk about both Annapolis and Santa Fe and great books at St. John's next time I'm here. Definitely. Uh, When we come back on this particular episode, we're going to answer some listener questions. So don't go away. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, We've got a couple of segments here remaining today, but our first segment, uh, Shannon, I'm sorry you missed it. It was great. Uh, we talked with the VP of enrollment at Santa, uh, not Santa Fe, St. John's College, which is in Santa, in Fe, Santa Fe and yes. Annapolis, yep. two campuses. 
Um, and he was great. We talked all about the college search for LGBTQ plus students, and it's a, a great segment. People should, should go and check that out, especially because it's Pride Month. Um, so, so a good one. You are here because it's time again for us to engage with our listener yes. questions. For those listeners who maybe are just finding the podcast, can you remind them some of the ways that they can send us questions so that we can answer them on these future segments? You can find us just about everywhere. You can send questions through our website. You'll find a little submission form. If you look at the podcast on our website, you can submit them to us through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, any, any place on social media with the exception of TikTok. Not yet until I can teach not Ian no those, those dance no moves. Way. No way. But anywhere else. Uh, Look for College Coach on social media and you can leave a comment. You can send a private message. We take questions from anyone, anywhere, and we'll answer them. Hey, that's here. right. And if you if you find Shannon at an ice cream shop in Massachusetts or find me at a hipster coffee shop here in Portland, go ahead and grab us by the sleeve and tell us what you'd like us to ask on the show. And we'll, we'll answer your question in front of all of the listeners <laughs> of getting it. Yes, it's pretty easy to find us. Those are, that's our natural <laughs> are habitat, hanging. I think. Yeah, for those that don't know. Um, all right, Shannon, we've got some admissions questions, I think, to start yes. with, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it over to you. All righty. The first question, it came in actually through our uh, Instagram page anonymously. And just to throw that out oh. to listeners, you know, if you don't specify otherwise, we'll often throw your first name out there, but we have absolutely no problem with asking the question anonymously. So this, so feel oh. free to do that. If you, you know, you can message us and we see your Instagram handle, but just say, Hey, can you ask this anonymously? No problem at all. Um, so this person asks, regarding students with mental health issues that affect grades and rigor choices, mm. is there a limit to what should be disclosed as a struggle in an application? For example, OCD has kind of a positive layperson connotation versus a mood disorder, which is harder to overcome and could present more social challenges once in a college community. What about kids who struggle in the middle of the high school post-pandemic and don't have the more favorable upwards arch story uh, of those who are recovered by junior year? Yeah, I think th this is a really complicated question. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I think that there are also, I'm not a psychologist, right? But there are degrees of intensity with a particular affliction, right? You could have OCD that is in fairly small doses and, you know, constrains you in certain respects. And you could have OCD that is really debilitating. I think the same thing is true for mood disorders or anxiety, right? It can be a small thing that you're grappling with. It can also somewhat take over uh, depending yeah. on what else is happening in your life. And, and so what's really important to understand is that the college application doesn't include a lot of space for nuance and understanding these kinds of things. And so whenever a student volunteers information about um, a challenge that they've had, there's not that space to go into 10 pages about the ins and outs of when it strikes and what kind of strategies they've developed and the conversations they've had with a therapist or with a psychologist in order to support them. And so you have to be really careful. One of the pieces of advice that I will give to students is you never want to raise questions in an application that are unanswered by the materials of the application. If you raise a question that an admission officer says, wait, wait a second, what is this? And how is the student working on this? And then you move on to another topic that can be quite concerning. Now, there is a legal requirement 
right? That if you have a disability of any kind, that that can't be used as a reason not to admit you to a college. But colleges are so selective that there are many different reasons wrapped up in why you might receive a deny letter. And I think this is really strange and hard for us, Shannon, because when we talk with students, we get to develop a really great long-term relationship with them and get to understand some of the ins and outs and some of the challenges that they have uh, experienced. And as counselors, we want to encourage students to tell their story and to say what they've been struggling with and to feel like that's not something they need to hide behind. Yeah. But as an admission officer who reads a file in 10 to 15 minutes, they don't have that same sort of investment in that student and they don't have the same time to be able to really unpack and reflect on what that student's story has been. And so that's why I think students need to be careful about what they are sharing in this space. Um, so terms of advice, I think whenever you are raising a particular challenge that you've had, you want to be able to provide the solution to that challenge alongside the challenge itself. So if you were afflicted by a particular difficulty early in high school and you found something that helped you to solve that problem and you're in better straits now, great. You should find a way to share that thing. And you can ask a question that is then answered by the content that you share. One important thing to understand, and I think that it goes to the first sentence of this question, which is, you know, issues that affect grades and rigor choices. Um, You know, if you have something that is affecting your ability to get the kind of grades you'd like to get or to take the classes you'd like to take, and that's something that will go with you to college, you're going to struggle with rigor choices and grades when you get to college as well, right? And so while there is an explanation for that challenge, that explanation doesn't mitigate the concern of lower rigor and less compelling grades. And so that's ultimately still what the college is looking at is if you've got a bunch of C's, even if it's because of an ADHD diagnosis, if you haven't found the solution, that means you'll be getting C's in college more than likely. And so I think that's what the college drills into is we expect C's regardless of the explanation. And so that's something that we're concerned about. So it's a tough question. It's really, really hard, I think, to explore, but colleges and and admission officers do protect their institutions and want to be in a position where they are admitting students that are going to graduate. And so when they see flags, they might hesitate on a student and you want to be careful not to raise those flags unless you can explain them. Did I miss anything, Shannon, there? I mean, this is a tough, tough thing to explore and I think hard, but but what what's your take on on any of this? No, I think that it makes perfect sense. And it doesn't it doesn't feel great because you're right, as counselors that are working, you want to be able to tell somebody, be yourself. And and that's what you you generally are saying. You want to convey to this college who you are. Yeah. Uh, and so it doesn't feel great to say hold something back, but I think that you're point is so well taken. I love the way you phrase it. Don't raise a question that you can't answer. Again, in the maybe 10 minutes that an admissions officer is looking at your application. And and I want to acknowledge that this really cuts against a lot of the advice that we just had in the last segment where we were talking about students who are LGBTQ plus and just own your identity and be yourself. And I think that you know, these kinds of challenges, whether it's with depression or a learning disability are part of who you are. And I don't want you to feel like you have to diminish that aspect of your experience and what you've learned and grown from it. But I also think you've got to be careful in terms of how that is received and the concern that an admission officer might have in terms of how it's going to affect your academic performance on that campus. So yeah. it's And I difficult. think your, your, your other point, 
absolutely aligns with the be yourself. If your uh, mental health challenge has led you to say, you know what, I am going to take a slightly less rigorous curriculum because I know that I will be healthier that way, that if that's going to continue into college, embrace that, you know, and don't, don't be perhaps applying to colleges that you think are going to be too rigorous for you. That's going to put you in an unhealthy place. So acknowledging that part of your, it's what you acknowledge to yourself, be yourself to yourself, but then understand. Be fair to your future self too, right? Like the (laughs) goal is not just to get in everywhere. It's to get into a place that you're going to be able to be successful. So that's actually a really great reminder that you don't want to put yourself in a position to bite off more than you can chew from the college that you're ultimately accepted to and, and attend. So it's, it's tricky. And I think it's personalized, right? And so just some, I think there are some questions there for students to engage with. Absolutely. Right. Well, we'll leave that. We'll leave that there. And maybe we can explore right. that in a further conversation. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. I know we've got some questions uh, about college finance, but, but I, th- my perception as someone who's on the admission side of the desk is that the questions around financial aid and scholarships really tend to go down at this point in time, in the middle of the summer, right? So it's kind of like, well, we're already in, we've seen our financial aid package, or if my student's applying this fall, I don't have to think about the FAFSA right now. I'm not super worried about where they're going to apply because they haven't rounded out their college list. What are the things that families should be thinking about in the summer when some of those big questions aren't quite as salient, but there might still be a way to help put themselves in good position financially coming into um, either the first year of college or the application season for seniors? Yeah. In terms of those graduating seniors, now rising college freshmen, it's actually a lot to do. Um, you, you, you wish you were all done now, but, but guess, guess what's coming probably in the next couple of weeks? That first college tuition bill. Bill, yeah. So hopefully you've been, and I'm sure our listeners, the listeners of this show are feeling very well prepared for that first tuition bill. If you've kind of had your head in the sand for a little while now, you're going to get a reality flash very quickly uh-huh. because those bills are going to be due in August. So right now there's, um, if you're borrowing any student loans, there's loan paperwork to fill out. If you're going to be signing up for a monthly tuition payment plan, which is a great thing to do and kind of an underutilized resource, that's something to look into uh, right now. It allows you to stretch out uh, rather than sort of two big giant tuition bills uh, that you pay twice a year. You can stretch it out on a monthly basis. So that makes things a lot more feasible for a lot of folks. Um, so keep an eye out for that bill. Get the loans in place get tuition payment plans in place. Uh, take a look at your, if you've got a 529 college savings plan, um, take a look at the withdrawal procedure for that. Um, but there's lots, lots of paperwork step, I would say, for uh, families of rising college freshmen. Um, for rising seniors in high school, I think now is the time to, and their parents, really take a look at what your financial situation is if you haven't been having conversations about this all along, now's the time to get real about it as uh, rising seniors are finalizing their college list, deciding where to apply, thinking about what kind of resources you have available for college. Make sure your student knows what you have available to college and that it's not a blank check if it is not. Yeah. Um, so they can take that under consideration as they're 
deciding where to apply. Make sure everybody's on the same page with that. Understand uh, that you need to have a well-balanced college list, both for admissions purposes and your chances of getting in, but also for financial purposes. You likely want to have some um, safety schools on that list where you look quite good. That's where you're likely to see the biggest scholarship offers. Understand the real reach schools on your list. You may qualify for need-based financial aid, but if not, you're not likely to receive uh, scholarship discounts from a real reach school where they're not um, bending over backwards to recruit you. Um, So just make sure you have that nice balance on your list and you should have some nice choices in the end uh, to be able to choose from. But now's the time to sort of set that stage make sure everyone's on the same page, that you get some choices in front of you and everyone understands what's going to feed into making that final decision. That's great. Great advice. Some things for everyone to think about. Um, always thinking about finances. That's why that's why we keep Shannon around and, and her <laughs> whole team of experts because they're like, hey, I know you don't want to talk about this, but it, it's coming. We got to do it. Exactly. Um, I think we have time to tackle that uh, question from Patricia. If you want to you read that one, we get some time Absolutely. before we go to a break. Yes. Patricia asks, can we please discuss concealed carry on college campuses? Uh, I'd like to hear from representatives from colleges that do or don't ban the carrying of a concealed weapon on a college campus. Should prospective students consider gun policies when making their college list? Thank you. Yeah, tough question. I mean, I think that I think we, you know, the scope of this podcast, if we're going to have like an admissions dean on the on the uh, call to talk about these, you know, these kinds of policies are really outside of their hands. You know, if you look at a lot of the schools, let's say in in Texas or in Colorado and Oregon, you pointed out Oregon's a, a state that allows concealed carry on college campuses. It's not really something that's within the control of individual department heads on these colleges, but more more often goes to the state legislature um, and some of the decisions that they want to make. So, um, can we please talk about concealed carry? Uh, you know, I told you, Shannon, I might rant. Um, I'm going to try not to do that. What I, what I would say is I think it's really important. Families have often asked the question about safety um, when they think about where they're going to send their kids. And that has to do with sometimes neighborhoods that they're looking at. Sometimes it has to do with how far from home they are and how quickly they can get home in an emergency. This is uh, obviously a, a really important thing for people to think about. And I think it's an important question to ask. Um, so uh, when you are thinking about where to send your students, you might look at those states that allow that concealed carry. I would also say it's you be cautious of painting with broad brushstrokes, right? So Oregon is definitely a state that has a very conservative um, population outside of the metro areas, but Portland and Eugene, where the University of Oregon is, and and um, you know Reed is in Portland, Oregon, is extremely progressive, you're probably not going to find students carrying guns on the Reed College campus, even if it is legal in Oregon. And so you have to kind of understand some aspects of the neighborhood in which each college is situated and aspects of those communities as well. um, Because, you know, Reed College is not the same as, let's say, Southern Oregon University might be. Um, So that's something to look into. I also think there are opportunities for students as they go to these college campuses to make noise right? To be active. Uh, when you are a student in a new state at a college campus, you are now a resident of that state. In some respects, uh, you might register to vote there. And so you have an opportunity to 
you know, rattle those cages and talk to your, um, you know, your state representatives and try and change some of those policies if you feel like they don't serve your safety and serve the safety of uh, the other students that you're in school with. Um, so, you know, I- I'm hopeful that uh, there will continue to be big conversations that are happening and that, um, you know, students are a big part of what's pushing this. It's, it's one of the things that has been somewhat heartening, Shannon, is, you know, you see a lot of these high school kids who unfortunately have been a part of these devastating experiences who are now really pushing to be advocates for common sense uh, when it comes to laws. So, uh, well, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll see if I still have a job. No, um, uh, we are going to take a quick break. We'll come back with some more questions on admissions and financial aid. Uh, Don't go away. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to our listener Q&A on today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We've got Shannon Vasconcelos here who's answering those finance questions, and I'm answering questions about Gun control and college admissions, apparently. Um, but no, here we are. Uh, we do it all over here. We do it all. You know, send it. in whatever questions you've got. We can explore them pretty <laughs> deeply. And I think, I think Sally and Beth also have capital O opinions, just like uh, I <laughs> they do. They certainly so, do. Yes. <laughs> they certainly do. That's, that's what it takes to be a host on the radio show here. Um, but let's go into Patty's question here around financial aid offers. She's wondering, can we count on the same financial aid offer in future years or do schools tend to lure us in with a generous offer and then reduce it later for uh, for different college years after you've confirmed your enrollment? I will say that schools do not tend to uh, lure folks in with a, a particularly generous offer with you know the nefarious game plan all along that they'll cut that back in, in future years. But I will say that financial aid is not guaranteed for all four years of college. You do apply for financial aid one year at a time. Typically, if your financial circumstances stay about the same, you can expect your financial aid offer to stay about the same. Schools are not playing any real kind of bait and switch game. However, there are some reasons that your financial aid might decline in future years. Um, And there's a few of them that I've seen most often from my, from my experience. One is parent gets a new job, making a whole lot more money. uh, That's terrible. 
What bad news that is. <laughs> right, exactly. Mixed blessing there. Right. Uh, because you financial aid, you know, is based on your income reported on that financial aid application. It sometimes happens that fam, a, fam, a parent is out of work conveniently during that base year for the first year's financial aid, and they get a lot of financial aid. And then when they become reemployed, that changes things for future years. So you just need to be prepared for that. Um, another very, very unfortunately common reason that I've seen financial aid uh, disappear in future years is if the student does not make the academic requirements to keep that financial aid. Um, so that's something you certainly want to be looking at upfront. What are the academic requirements for holding on to financial aid, for renewing financial aid from year to year? If we're talking about uh, a merit scholarship, those typically have pretty high requirements to keep them. Yeah. You might say, you know, this scholarship is renewable uh, for all four years of college, assuming you keep a 3.0 or a 3.5 grade point average. Um, sometimes you have to stay in a certain major, maintain a certain credit load. Um, so you want to make sure you understand those requirements, that your child understands those requirements, um, and that they they keep their academic focus throughout college. The goal is not to do well in high school so you can get into college and and then you let the academics go. You got to keep right. them up That's in right. college. Um, so the, the merit scholarships tend to have particularly high academic requirements, but even need-based financial aid has minimum academic requirements tends to be, uh, uh, it might be 2.0, 2.7, uh, and again, credit load requirements. So make sure that uh, the student is focusing on their academics because that can absolutely make financial aid disappear in future years. Um, another common occurrence is if the financial aid was based upon there being two students in the family in college, you've got two kids uh, who are both in college at the same time, yeah. uh, and that fed into the financial aid formula as it currently does, and then the older child graduates, you can expect the younger child's financial aid to be reduced because they are now assuming those resources that you had to split two ways, now they can all go to this one child in college. So those, I would say, would be the most common reasons I've seen financial aid disappear in future years. Um, but barring those circumstances, if things stay about the same in your financial circumstances, you can generally expect financial aid to stay pretty much the same. Most schools will try and keep things in the same ballpark. If you do know already about a change that you know is coming, like you know your older child is graduating next year, you know you've gotten a new job and your income situation looks different. I would definitely advise speaking with the financial aid office at yeah. the school about what you can expect in the future. Um, so you can be prepared. If things are going to change, you want to know how they're going to change. So you now have some time to prepare for that, make decisions based upon um, what you can actually anticipate for the future rather than just, uh, you know, pretending it doesn't exist and, and hoping things <laughs> um, don't, don't change. It's good advice. Um, it's good advice to be proactive yeah. in asking that question. It's not something that occurred to me before, but yeah, it's, it makes sense. to. Re yeah. It, it, it's tricky that you're signing up for a four-year investment when you only know about one year's financial aid. It's, yeah. it's not an ideal situation. Agreed. Uh, next question for you, Ian. Uh, my child is a top, is a student at a top local high school in Virginia, those folks in Virginia, I, th I think maybe I won't say the name of the school to protect the student's privacy, but you, you'll have heard of it. Um, yeah. he, he came to school without some necessary foundation 
foundational study skills and struggled his freshman year. Okay. His grades are mostly okay with two core class exceptions. He's very excited about the opportunities he has at the school and he wouldn't have at his base school, uh, but is working exceptionally hard to keep up. We love the exposure to new ideas as well as the faculty and staff, but worry about burnout uh, and that we are limiting his choices for collar for college later on as a possible computer science major. He's mm. open to exploring colleges that are not as well known. He is better, is he better off staying at his current high school where he is learning tremendously and has wonderful friends or transferring back to his base school for future opportunities? Are there special considerations for GPA in the college application process coming from these very rigorous high schools? Um, when not applying to the same schools as the majority of the student body. Yeah, um, there's a lot of great, great case studies and just questions in here. I think that reflect yeah. active conversations that families have about where they should send their kids. I would, I mean, it's a really interesting question too, to think about like, imagine this question is not about a high school, but about a college, right? Mm -hmm. My kid is at a top college, but is struggling because he didn't have the foundational skills that he needed. And should he stay at that college, let's say it's an Ivy or transfer to a school with less of a name brand where he can be more successful. How will that help future career prospects? It's interesting because from a college perspective, almost nobody would ask that question. Yeah. Right? They would just be like, stay at the school that has more name brand. But I, but I think there's an argument to be made in some cases for go to the place where you're going to be able to be more successful because that's going to be more reflective of, you know, um, your potential. Yeah. The interesting thing about this particular question is the definition of success, right? So potentially this kid could go to a different school and get better grades, but there are a couple of things that stood out in this question. I don't know if they stood out for you. I liked he is very excited about the opportunities he has that he wouldn't have at his base school. He is, where's the other section that I love? Um, learning tremendously yeah. and has wonderful friends. So yeah, for me, like, I, I wonder about, so. He's, he's struggling, but he's enjoying the struggle. He's enjoying it the seems. struggle. And I wonder what learning tremendously means. Is it like he's got tons of homework and is like, is the content is really challenging or is it like, wow, I'm really learning a lot. I'm not getting great grades on these tests. At least they're not consistent with where I am, but it is really cool. The stuff that I'm exploring and the pace that I'm going at. Right. That's, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Yeah. I think that that's, that's what you've got to drill into from my perspective. You know, it's hard to get into a challenging CS school period. It doesn't matter whether you're at a good school and at the top, whether you're at a mediocre school and at the top, whether you're at the good school and in the middle. So nothing about the future is certain. But I think that if you are having a great learning experience with people that you like and are enjoying the challenge, you should stay right where you are. Um, with some lack of perfection across your grades, I think that's perfectly fine. The one thing I worry about is that question about burnout, but I think that the way that this parent phrases the question, it doesn't sound like burnout to me. Um, it really sounds like the kid's being challenged and the challenge of burnout, I think is, is a push only to get A's and only to be perfect at the expense of the learning experience. I see that as yes. creating more burnout as opposed to just working hard. Um, because working hard, I think is a good thing and a good habit to, to set. And frankly, I think this kid might be in great shape at the start of college because 
they've had this experience went, and they know how to manage. He went through those growing pains. A lot, exactly. a lot of students have this struggle when they get to the next level in college. That's right. That's right. And if you've done it in high school, it makes college so much easier. Um, and for me, it was college versus grad school. Grad school was so easy compared to college because college was so hard. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's all about when you have those experiences and how you respond to them. So it's a great question, but I, I'm, I'm inclined to say that the student should stay given all the positives uh, at the, the magnet school. Totally agree. It sounds like I like your framing of uh, we don't obviously see the whole picture, but the burnout may come for striving for the grades at yeah. the expense of the learning experience. If he's enjoying the challenging learning experience, just need to let go of the grades a little bit. And there's some great little crumbs in here that make me feel optimistic about this. Yeah. Student. I think that the idea that he's open to exploring colleges that are not as well known, you know, yes. these, these kinds of things are just kind of like indications to me that we're not saying he got to be in one of his classes. We're freaking out. Right. <laughs> Does he need to go to another school? Um, you know, it's, there are a lot of really competitive schools out there. And I think it is the age old question. Do I go to a place where my peers are really, really impressive and I'm kind of in the middle or do I go to a place where I'm at the top, but I don't really have a lot of peers that can challenge me. Um, and I'm, I'm inclined to choose the former. That's why I work at college coach Shannon. It's because I want people who are way smarter than me who push me every day. Um, so you know what I'm talking about? I, I know. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I'm the smartest one here, Ian. So okay, that's what I, 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 haven't had, for. I haven't had that experience. <laughs> well, uh, with that punctuation mark on today's show, I think we'll go ahead and end today's conversation. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to Shannon and uh, great having Ben Baum on the conversation as well. Uh, next week, Beth is back hosting. We're going to be talking about special selective scholarships. We're going to talk about Moorhead Kane in North Carolina. We'll also talk about some other selective scholarships that are out there, which I think is a great topic for a lot of families. We'll also talk about some buy now, pay later programs for college with one of our financial college finance experts. Um, that about does it for today. Shannon, you want to say goodbye? Bye, folks. See Perfect. You soon. That'll do. We'll see y'all here next week. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.